Hey, good morning. Good to see all of you today. Um, we had a, a great day yesterday. We had a chance to go out to our 90504 uh, zip code here in Torrance and pass out all these bags, and it was just a wonderful experience. Hearing some great reports of, of people received bags and, uh, and some who didn't, some interesting stories. But, but thank you so much for joining us for that. And, and I just want to say we have a, a bunch of these bags left over that contains a DVD of the life of Jesus and also information or an invitation to our, sat, or not, or to our Harvest Festival and also to our parent um, conference that's coming up led by Dr. Josh Traub. And so if you'd like to take as many as you'd like, you can, you're, you're welcome. They'll be out in the lobby afterwards. You can take those with you and hang them on the doors of your, of your neighbors or give them away to your friends. And I think that uh, they'll have an opportunity to be really be blessed. Well, recently I came across a collection of clever test answers that were given by uh, kids of all ages, probably elementary school kids and some middle school kids. And uh, I, just th- I just thought it was such a kick. I got such a kick out of this. I wanted to share some of them with you. And so here's the first one. This was a, a test in which the, the, the child was supposed to answer or, you know, write, the instruction is on the top, write lesser or greater. All right? So, so in A, she or he wrote or. And B, or, 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 all right? You said right or, so that's exactly what they did. Uh, got a kick out of that. Here, here's another one. Uh, this kid, on this particular test, a student was asked to write down 10 words I can spell right R. And so that's exactly what the kid did. Number one, 10. Number two words, three, I, four, can, spell, right words, and for good measure, threw in the word octopus, and seven, and two. I don't even know how he or she was able to spell octopus when she could, all she knew was uh, ten words I can spell right are, so interesting. In this uh, geometry quiz, oh, I hated geometry. In this geometry quiz, the teacher asked students to find X. I said, here it is. Are you dumb, teacher? Like, what kind of a teacher are you? Here it is. That was an easy one. Boy, this is simple. This next one, the kid, this kid got an F for his answers and an A-plus for creativity. And you can see there, F for your answers, but A-plus for creativity. The first question, I don't know if you can read it, it was, in which battle did Napoleon die? The answer, his last one. (laughs) Second question, where was the Declaration of Independence signed? Answer, on the bottom of the page. And it's exactly right. It's on the bottom of the page. Third question was this. River Ravi flows in which state? Well, the liquid state, of course. The liquid state. Question number four. What is the main reason for divorce? (laughs) Marriage. Right? Wow, this kid's brilliant. Marriage. Number five. What is the main reasons for exams? Failure. Failure. Number six. What can you never eat for breakfast? Lunch and dinner. Isn't that good? Number seven, what looks like half an apple? Well, the other half, of course. Right? And then, amazing. This next kid was asked to name the four heavy metals and draw their symbols. So he did. He wrote down Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax. And he even knew their symbols. It's amazing. Finally, it was a very simple math question. Anyone could have gotten this. Simple math question. Bob has 36 candy bars. He eats 29. What does he now have? (laughs) Diabetes. He has diabetes. He ate all those candy bars. Isn't that great? Boy, I I wish I was smart enough to have come up with those answers when I was taking tests when I was a kid. Um... But, but I hated taking tests. I, mean, I really did. I hated taking quizzes and all those kinds of things. I mean, I hated them all. Two weeks ago, we began a new series here through the book of James called Faith in Action. And that's what the book of James is really all about. It's about putting our faith into action. You see, because it's not good enough just to say, oh, I believe. You gotta, if you really believe, then you've got to take that belief to a point of commitment. There's got to be some action. It can't be just a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. There's gotta be, there've got to be feet. And there've got to be hands to your faith. And so that's what, that's what James is all about. It's about how do we live out our faith in these very practical ways. And so right out of the gate, chapter 1, 
we, we covered last two weeks. <clears throat> we are given a series of tests. We are given a series of tests to see if our faith is genuine. To see if it's genuine. If you, just by way of review, take a look at, uh, grab your Bible, turn to James chapter 1. And I'm going to try to get through this message today without coughing. I've been the tail end of a cold and have had a, a coughing spell. I've got a couple of mints in my mouth or cough drops in my mouth. But right out of the gate, we are given a series of tests, the tests of our faith to see if it's genuine. In chapter 1, for example, in verse 2 and 3, these are not on your uh, notes in your Baywatch. You were given, hopefully you received a Baywatch, which is our program. And all the verses are listed there for you. Or most of the verses are listed there for you. The key ones are. This one is not. But James 1, 2, and 3, verse 2 and 3 reads, Consider joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, <clears throat> because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So right out of the gate, we're, we're given this test. And it is the test of trials. And it tests our perseverance. And it tests our faith when we encounter problems, when we encounter trials. Then later on, we look at verse 13 and 14. It says, when, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So here's the second test. The second test is temptation. We are, temp we are tested by temptation to see how genuine our faith is, whether we're going to resist that temptation or whether we're going to run from it. Third, we are tested by our reaction to the word of God. How will we react to the word of God? To, to when we read the Bible, James 1, 22, says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? Here's a test. Are you going to just read the Bible and say, oh, that's nice? Are you going to do what it says? That's the test. And, and, and finally, we, so we have all these tests to determine whether our faith is real or not. And then here's what James concludes about those who pass the test. Verse 12, James 1, 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Right, so if you can pass the test, then your faith will have been proven genuine and you will receive the crown of life. You will receive a reward at the end. So it begs the question, how's your faith? How are you doing when it is tested by trial and by the word of God and by temptation? How is it doing? How is your faith? Today, we come to chapter 2, and we are presented with one more test. One more test. And this time, the test has to do with people and how we will regard people and how we will treat people and what our attitude will be toward people. So if you buy your Bible, again, turn to James chapter 2, James chapter 2, and we'll get into this this morning. You know, just off the coast of Senegal in West Africa, there's a 45-acre island called Goree. This is it right here. This is the island of Goree. Some of you have heard about it. 15 years ago, it was 15 years ago, a speech was delivered on this island which summed up the atrocities that occurred on that island that took place there for hundreds of years. I want to read part of that speech to you. And then, after the speech, I'll tell you who said it, all right, or who gave, this, gave these words. And again, this is just part of the speech. But it began like this. For hundreds of years on this island, people of different continents met in fear and cruelty. At this place, liberty and life were stolen and sold. Human beings were delivered and sorted and weighed and branded with the marks of commercial enterprises and loaded as cargo on a voyage without return. One of the largest migrations of history was also one of the greatest crimes of history. Below the decks, the middle passage was a hot, narrow, sunless nightmare, weeks and months of confinement and abuse and confusion on a strange and lonely sea. Some refused to eat, preferring death to any future their captor might prepare for them. Some who were sick <clears throat> were thrown over the side. For 250 years, the captives endured an assault on their culture and, dig and their dignity. The spirit of Africans in America did not break. Yet the spirit of their captors was corrupted. Small men took on the powers and airs of tyrants and masters. Years of unpunished brutality and bullying and rape produced a dullness and hardness of conscience. Christian men and women became blind to the clearest commands of their faith and added hypocrisy to injustice. A republic founded on equality for all became a prison 
for millions. So many fail the test. They fail the, taste of, the test of colorblindness. They fail the test of loving their fellow man. They fail the test of impartiality. They failed Martin Luther King's test that people should not be judged by the color of their skin, but rather by the content of their character. So many failed. And even those who refused to listen to this powerful speech failed. They refused to listen to it, and many did, because it was delivered by a white Republican president named George W. Bush. So many have failed the test. And if there was ever a time when James's words were needed, it is today. We need these words today because even after more than 5,000 years of human history, even after a civil war and the emancipation of proclamation and everything and the civil rights movement, all through all, even after all that, prejudice and bigotry and bias and discrimination are alive and well, not only in the United States of America, but all around the world. And it's not just because of skin color. It's because of gender, it's because of religion, it's because of politics, it's because of money, and it's because of all kinds of things, and it seems to be getting uglier by the moment. Enter James. Here comes James, and he addresses this, pro this topic of prejudice head on, and in case you're wondering, let me just give you a little background on this guy. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He wasn't one of the disciples or the apostles. He was the half-brother of Jesus. And he was also one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. The Jerusalem church was founded in Acts chapter 2, first church there. And it is believed that he wrote this epistle, which is named after him, which bears his name, around 44 AD, which would have been around 11 years after Jesus was raised from the dead. And he wrote the letter, the book of James, to Jewish believers who were part of the Jerusalem church, who were once a part of the Jerusalem church, but that had scattered. They had scattered in all likelihood because of persecution, which explains why. If you look at James chapter 1, verse 1, it says, well, we'll just put that one up here for you. <clears throat> it says, James, and that's, that's just his way of saying, I wrote this. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. The 12 tribes referred to the 12 tribes of Israel, and the dispersion is a Greek word, diaspora, and means to scatter. And so James wrote this to Jewish believers who had scattered all over, uh, all over the world, really, because of the persecution that they'd experienced. And if there was anyone who understood what it was like to be discriminated against, it was James, because his own people, the Jews, had faced it. The Jews experienced bald-faced prejudice, and they still do today. It's called anti-Semitism. But not only that, they themselves were prejudiced against others. The Jews were prejudiced against others. The Jews discriminated against women. They treated them and regarded women as second-class citizens. They practiced prejudice against Gentiles and Samaritans. They believed that, if, that anyone who wasn't a Jew was a second-class human being. They discriminated against the poor. Take a look at these, just a couple of verses about God's condemnation of the Jews because of their attitude toward the poor. In Amos chapter 8, God spoke this indictment in the, against the Jews. These verses are listed in your program there. <clears throat> James, Amos 8, verse 4. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. Hear this, you who trample the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. In Isaiah chapter 3, God spoke these words of judgment to his people, to, on his own people. Isaiah 3, 14 and 15. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard, and plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. The Jews were prejudiced against the poor. I mean, that description is so graphic. They grinded the faces of the, of the poor into the ground. And with that as the backdrop, James lit in to the people. And here's what he said. Take a look at James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You can stop right there. We'll just take this one verse. Show no partiality. Will you underline that? Show no partiality 
as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, show no partiality. Show no partiality here, these, these three English words, is a, is a translation of a single Greek word. Single Greek word was taken then, it was translated into these three words, show no partiality. The Greek word, you don't really need to remember this, but I'm going to give it to you anyways, prosopolampsia, prosopolampsia. And it means to lift up someone's face for the purpose of judging their appearance. That's what show no partiality meant. Prosopolampsia, to lift up someone's face for the purpose of judging their appearance. Prosopolampsia is judging someone based on their looks and not on their merits. It is judging someone based on the color of their skin and not on the content of their character. And James gives us an example of what he's talking about here in verse 2. Take a look at verse 2. He goes on, "For for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever interacted with somebody, or maybe you, you didn't interact with somebody, just based on what they look like? Oh, you know, look, look at the way they're dressed. Oh, uh, you know, oh, uh, they must be this kind of a person. Oh, I don't want anything to do with them. Have you ever done that just based on how they look? Shown favor to someone because of how they looked or who you thought they were. I've never shared this story with you, with, with the church here before, but, but uh, I'm going to share it with you now for the first time. Years ago, when we were meeting at another location, our church, uh, South Bay Community Church was meeting at another location. It was a Saturday night service. I'll never forget it. And I began to give my message, and um, I looked out in the audience. It was a pretty small group, maybe, maybe just this many people right here in the center section. I looked out in the audience, and, and I saw somebody sitting in the audience, and I thought, Wow, and I started to freak out because it's Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant, he was still playing for the Lakers at the time, and I was just like, oh my gosh. There's... And I, I'm trying to maintain my composure, but I'm thinking, now I'm not a Kobe Bryant fan, I just be honest with you, right? But, but I thought, oh my gosh, there's, there's Kobe Bryant. Like, wow, he's, he's, he's here in our church. Right? He's, a, he's a Laker, right? He's a big star. I hope he gives us an offering. Um, <laughs> and, and I freaked out because... You know, we never had a celebrity like that in our church, and, and, and I wanted to impress him, really, to be honest with you. I really wanted to impress him. I wanted, I wanted him to like, like me, and I, I was hoping that maybe he'll keep coming. Maybe he'll just make South Bay his home. And so uh, at the end, I, I, I just did my best to give my very best message, a little more emphasis, a little more passion, try to be a little funnier than I usually am. And, um, and at the end of the message, I gave an invitation, and I kind of peeked to see if he raised his hand or not, and, and it, it didn't look like his hand went, went up. And then afterwards, I, I, I just, I, was, I couldn't wait for the last song to be sung so I could go meet him. And so very nonchalantly, like, oh, 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 oh what's your name? Um, and I just moseyed up to him, and he was, he was tall, but he wasn't as tall as I thought he would be. He st- stood out among the crowd, but he wasn't as tall as, as, he, as I thought he would be. And when I got up to him, and I extended my hand to him, I looked up, and I was so disappointed. It wasn't Kobe Bryant. I was so disappointed. It was like, oh, and I just wanted to walk away. You know, like, you're not Kobe Bryant. You know, I, I was so disappointed. Have you ever done that? Have you ever paid attention to somebody, somebody because of, thought, because of who you thought they were? And you're just like, wow, 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 wow. And then they're not, and it's like, oh, whatever. You're not that important. I don't need to say hello to you now. That's exactly what I did. Or maybe you didn't pay attention to somebody because of how they looked, or because of who you thought they were. You know, years ago, Pastor Francis uh, Chan <clears throat> preached on this very passage, and he decided <clears throat> to put his congregation to the test. Let me have you watch this, and he'll set it up for you, and then just watch the video. It's, it's, you'll get a kick out of this. Take a look at this. But we don't. Instead, we show favoritism. And you go, no, that doesn't happen at Cornerstone. Oh, yeah? I had a hidden camera okay, last night. <laughs> in the lobby, okay, and I, I just wanted to know, okay, how friendly are we as a church? Let me just stand at a table, 
and let me put someone else, you know, next to me. And, you know, one of our high school kids, kind of a punk looking guy, you know, not too bad, just a little ring through his lip. You know, let's just, let's just see, you know what, do we show favoritism? Are people going to greet me and not him? And, uh, and so here's, here's the video from, uh, from last night. This is, this is, this is fun. And we got a little counter on it, shows you how many people, uh, say hi to me. So there, there I am, and you can't really see, uh, so just standing at the table, and there's the other kid. Ah, oh, there's some people greeting me. Interesting. Now, they actually talk to the kid for a second. They ask him to take a picture of us. Um, so that doesn't really count as them talking to him. Well, so here's another guy coming up, greeting me, and there's lonely boy, still lonely. Um, cool, so we're talking, talking, talking. Cool, here's a book. Hey, read it. Okay, I'll try. All right, uh, see you later. Oh, here's another guy. Hey, I brought you something. Cool, okay, yeah, okay, good, good, thanks. I oh, appreciate that. All right, you want to talk to my friend now? Okay. Uh, hey, buddy, what's up, man? Good to see you. All right, cool. Rock on. Um, here's a, and uh, hey, brother, I love you, man. It's good, good, good. <laughs> uh, hey, what's up? I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way. And then... Um, an usher here is talking to him. So good job, Ed. One of our usher, Ed, is talking to him, asking how he's doing. Yay, Ed. Okay. Here's some more people talking to me, ignoring him. Um, let's see what else happens. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> oh, Todd. Yeah, Todd and Lisa. All right. Okay. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah, right. Have you ever done that? You see me and you come up to me and somebody else is there and you don't even talk to them. That's not okay. Right? That's not okay. We can't do that. Yet, if we're all really honest, we all play favorites. We shouldn't play favorites because God said it's wrong. It's wrong. Write that one down. Prejudice is wrong. Showing partiality, showing favorites, playing favorites is wrong, right? And, and why is prejudice, and I, and I put it in the context of prejudice, but why shouldn't we show partiality? And why shouldn't we pre be prejudiced? Because God isn't, right? God doesn't show partiality. God isn't prejudiced against anyone. It's contrary to his nature. When the first Gentiles became Christians, remember Gentiles became a part of the church, Jews couldn't believe it. They're like, oh, no, we don't want those Gentiles in the church, right? We don't want them to receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, Peter said this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Right? God shows no partiality. We underline that. God shows no partiality. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what race you are. If you love the Lord... Man, you are part of his family. He shows no partiality. Romans 2, verse 10 and 11 says, For glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Verse 11, underline that. God shows no partiality. Even in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. God is not partial. God does not discriminate. God is not prejudiced against anyone. It goes against who he is to be prejudiced. You see, God regards everyone the same. Everyone is equal in his eyes. You're not better than somebody else. Your race is not superior to somebody else. And even if you are educated and have money, that doesn't make you better than anyone else. Proverbs 22.2 says, The rich and the poor meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. Right? God, we are all God's children. And Job 34, 18 says, Is he not the one who says to kings, You are worthless, and the nobles, you are wicked, who shows no partiality to princes, and does not favor the rich over the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. Right? We look at somebody who's got, who's famous as a celebrity, and we think they're better than everybody else, and they, think they're, they might think that they're better than anybody else. No, nobody's better than anybody else. And that's why God absolutely abhors hate groups and people who hate Job 31, 15 says, Did not he who made me in the womb make him? 
Did he who made me not make you? And did not one, not one fashion us in the womb? Right? God is the maker of us all, right? This is so good. Prejudice is contrary. Write this one down. Prejudice is contrary to God's nature. It is contrary to his nature because he's the father of us all. And to drive home the point, James said this to Jewish believers, and starting in verse 5. Take a look at verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which is promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones... Uh, are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Let me just point out a couple of things in this passage. First of all, in verse 6, it says that they dishonored the poor. That the Jewish believers in this church, they dishonored the poor. They didn't dishonor the rich. The rich, according to this passage, were the ones who oppressed them. The rich, according to this passage, are the ones who blasphemed the name of Jesus. Yet, they did not discriminate against them. They weren't prejudiced against them. They were prejudiced against the poor. They put down the poor. Second, verse 5 says, God has chosen the poor. He has chosen the poor to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not a blanket statement declaring that everyone who is poor is going to go to heaven. That's not true. Only those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, whether you're rich or you're poor, will go to heaven. But I think there is, I think there is overwhelming anecdotal evidence to indicate that more poor people follow Jesus than rich people. Jesus said it's harder for rich men to go enter the kingdom of heaven than it is to enter to, through the eye of a needle, for a camel to eye, enter through the eye of a needle. It's hard for rich men because they've got to give up so much, right? And it's hard for them to give up things. And that's why it's so easy for the poor, because when you have nothing, well, you, what you really need more than anything else is God. You know, I was in Ecuador at the beginning of last year, and for the first time in my life, I, I've witnessed poverty before, but this was the first time I'd, I'd witnessed extreme poverty, gut, gut-wrenching poverty. And this one mother, this one right here, uh, she, she lived in this little shack with her three small boys, lived in this one-bedroom shack. Uh, you can see the stove in, in the corner and the beds right there, and they all slept in the same bed. <clears throat> and she struggled to pay her monthly rent of $20. $20 was her rent. I believe the entire family income <clears throat> amounted to less than a dollar a day. Imagine living on less than a dollar a day. You can't even buy a Starbucks coffee for a dollar. And um, yet she had this incredible faith in the Lord Jesus. And she was teaching her kids about the Lord Jesus, teaching them the Bible. She trusted him with her whole heart. And after we had a chance to <clears throat> give her some rice and some beans, we prayed for her. She cried. You could see that I took this picture right after we prayed for her. You could see the tears still in her eyes. And um, I saw this kind of faith all throughout our trip. Poor people <clears throat> running to Jesus. Poor people with faith in the Lord Jesus. See, God has a special place in his heart for the poor. That's what the Bible says. He has a special place in his heart for the poor. Take a look at Psalm 113. It says, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the, <clears throat> he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. And then verse, Isaiah 41, verse 17 it says, when the poor and the needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. And Zechariah 7, 8 and 9 says, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Why would God say these things about the poor? It's because he has a special place in his heart for the poor. He has a special eye out in the world for the poor. He loves the poor. God's heart is for the poor. God's heart is for the lost. God's heart is for the needy. So write this one down, prejudice. And that's why prejudice is contrary to God's heart. It is contrary to God's heart, whether we are prejudiced against someone because of the color of their skin or we're prejudiced because somebody doesn't have any money. Now, on a side note, let me just give you this. On a side note, I don't know if you're aware of this, <clears throat> But many poor countries around the world today are being bombarded by prosperity gospel preachers. 
prosperity gospel preachers are coming in and they're misleading the poor with this false gospel, with these false teachings, and they're telling poor people that Jesus wants them to be rich. That's a lie. That Jesus wants them to be rich and he wants them to be healed of any and every kind of sickness and disease. And when you're poor and you're sick, that's a message that can sound very, very appealing to you. Oh, Jesus wants me to be rich. Oh, Jesus wants me to be healed. In the same breath, these prosperity gospel preachers will tell them that they can become rich and they can be healed of their sicknesses and diseases if and only if they have faith. So it depends on them. And the more faith you have, the richer you'll become. And the more faith you'll have, the more complete your healing will be. So it's up to you. But if you don't have faith, then you get zip. You get nada. You get nothing. You see, it's all on you. It's all on them. That's kind of what they preach. And I saw this in Ecuador. We went to visit a, a poor lady. She was going blind. She lived in a, in a little shack on, that was on stilts. We, we had to get, use, use a ladder to get into her house. We could smell the reek of urine coming up through the floors. And uh, this, lady was, this poor lady was going blind. And the pastor, I had no idea who the pastor was. He came with us and, and he started telling her, speaking to her in Spanish, um, and was translated for us. He says, God wants to heal you, but it's up to you. You have to have faith. If you have faith, your blindness will go away. You will be healed. But if you don't have faith, you'll be blind for the rest of your life. I was so upset when he told her that. You know, sometimes we, we get illnesses and things happen, and, and, and it may not be God's choice to heal us. But it's not up to somebody else. We receive blessings from God not because of what we do. We receive blessings from God simply because God is a benevolent and gracious and loving God. God is gracious to us. And just sadly, this false prosperity gospel is spreading faster than the true gospel in places like Africa and South America. And it's heartbreaking to see. But that's the devil's M.O. He attacks the poor with a, with a false gospel. See, the devil always attacks those whom God loves, always does that. In the same way, prejudice, prejudice is an assault on all that God loves, on what God loves. And it is contrary to his heart. <clears throat> you can write this one down. Prejudice is also contrary to God's royal law. It's contrary to the royal law, his royal law. Take a look at verse, uh, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. In verse 8, we circle royal law. What is the royal law? Well, it tells us right here what the royal law is. It, it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you think, well, that sounds familiar. Where have I heard that before? Remember when Jesus was asked to name the greatest commandment in Matthew 22? Take a look at Matthew 22. I believe this is on the screen here for you. He was asked, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law <clears throat> and he said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the first this is the great and first commandment and in verse 39 he said and second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself there it is again you shall love your neighbor as yourself we underline that in verse 39 Jesus said this was the second great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself <clears throat> and James referred to it as the royal law it was the royal law because the word royal means kingly. It was a royal law because it came directly from the mouth of the king, King Jesus. It came from his mouth. And that's why it's called the royal law. And to show partiality or to discriminate or be prejudiced against someone is contrary to the royal law. It is contrary to this law of love, that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's contrary to love. In fact, James goes on to say in verse 9 that if you violate this law, if you show partiality, it is a sin. Will you circle that word sin? It is a sin, verse 9. And then he adds, and then you are transgressors of the law. Also in verse 9, circle the word transgressors. The Greek word for sin is hamartia, and it means to miss the mark. But here's what I want you to really get. The word transgressor is the word parabates, and it means, to, it means uh, for someone to, who willfully goes beyond God's prescribed limits. 
In other words, taken together, it points out, this passage points out that when someone shows prejudice, he or she not only falls short, but they also go too far. They fall short, but they're transgressor, which means they go too far. You went too far. And the reason why James described partiality in these terms was because the Jews didn't think that discriminating against someone was a big deal. Like, so what? What's the, what's the big deal? It's not one of the big ones. It's just a little one. I just don't like that guy. So what's the big deal? I didn't kill him. <clears throat> I still remember when our country was attacked on 9-11 by Al-Qaeda. 19 men were identified as perpetrators of, of the attacks on our nation, World Trade Center, Pentagon. 15 of the 19 were identified as uh, citizens of Saudi Arabia. About a month after the attack, I had to go to Dallas from Long Beach to go to a Christian conference, pastor's conference. And I'll never forget sitting at the gate, checked in, ready to board my plane, and being scared to death because six of the other passengers who were going on that flight happened to be Muslim women. And the reason why I knew they were Muslim women because I saw these six women sitting there, saw them check in, and they were wearing their hijabs, covered, their, covered them from head to toe. And of course, their faces, faces were exposed. And I judged these women based on how they looked. And I was terrified. I jumped to the conclusion that just because they were Muslim, they also had to be dangerous. And we stereotype people like that. We profile people like that. We put them into all these categories. And the worst part was I, I justified my prejudice by saying, but look at what they did on 9-11. If one Muslim did this, if one Muslim is bad, then they're all bad. And I think we do that all too often. There is no justification whatsoever for prejudice. And I did this even though our country did that to my own people at one time. When my parents, for example, were taken and put in camps simply because of their Japanese heritage after World War II, after Pearl Harbor was attacked. It's never okay to judge someone based on their appearance or where they're from or what they believe. I went too far. I missed the mark and I went too far and I regret it deeply and I've asked God to forgive me. Not only did Jewish believers think that discriminating against someone wasn't a big deal, they also thought that as long as, as, long as they didn't violate the big ticket items like murder and adultery, it was okay. But James pointed out that it didn't matter which law they broke. If they broke even the most insignificant law on the books, they were still lawbreakers in God's eyes. Take a look at verse 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And, and his point was this, James' point was this, that even if you violate the slightest law, you're still a transgressor. And prejudice might, even if there's the slightest hint of prejudice inside of you, you may think it's not that big a deal, right? If you've got even the slightest hint of prejudice flowing inside of your veins, you're still a lawbreaker. You've gone too far. You have sinned. You've crossed the line. And it doesn't matter who you're prejudiced against. We think that prejudice is always about white people being prejudiced against black people. Today, you can say, I love people of all colors. And then, on the other hand, you, you just can't stand Catholics. Or you can't stand Muslims or Buddhists or atheists. Or you may say, I love transgender people. I love gay people. But you hate Republicans and you hate Democrats. There's a high school student who uh, comes to our church. 
and he wears one of those Donald Trump Make America Great Again hats, red hat. And uh, he wears it to school. And when he was uh, in middle school, uh, he's now in high school, but when he would wear it to school, his parents told me that he was always bullied and, and always teased and always um, put down. And, and he says he doesn't wear it as often to high school anymore because it's even worse. I mean, you know, the kids, I mean, Patrick, he's a brave little guy to be able to do that. But no one should be bullied because of what they believe. Yet there's that kind of prejudice. You may say, I love poor people, but you hate millionaires and billionaires because they've got all this money. You may say, I love all Americans, but you hate foreigners. And you, you especially hate those who, cross, who try to cross our borders without doing so legally. See, it doesn't matter who you're prejudiced against. It's all sin, and it all crosses God's line. But finally, James closes out this section with this injunction, verse 12 and 13. So to speak and so to act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy. To one has shown no, no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, prejudice is such a serious offense that it is a matter for which we will be judged. It is a matter for which we will be judged unless we repent and ask God for forgiveness and we begin to love one another. We will be judged for this. So this is the test. This is the test of for the people of faith. And when it gets right down to it, <clears throat> prejudice is really a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. You know, one of my favorite athletes, you know, I, for those of you who know me, I am not much of a fan of baseball teams as much as I am a fan of baseball, or I should say, or of athletes. I am a fan of athletes more than I am of teams. And um, one of my favorite athletes is Benjamin Watson um, of the New Orleans Saints. This is him here, and he said, Benjamin Watson said, ultimately, racism is a sin problem. It's not a skin problem. It's, it's a sin problem. It's not a skin problem. It's a problem of the heart. And, and, and that's true for any kind of prejudice. It's a sin problem. It's a heart problem. But through Christ, and here's the good news, that through Christ there is forgiveness, and through Christ there can be transformation, and our hearts can be changed, and we can become like Christ. You know, I want to close by just introducing you to Tina Raboot. Tina has an amazing story. Tina, are you there? Yeah, you're here. I didn't see you this morning. But Tina, would you welcome up Tina? <laughs> Tina is on our, our worship team. And, and um, well, you know what? I'm just going to have you tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Tina. Um, and uh, I'm from Hawaii. And we, I moved to California in 1986. And then uh, moved to Torrance in 1996. Um, my husband is Clayton, and we have three children, and uh, we've been coming to South Bay Community Church since 2013. Great. You had an interesting experience. I did. Tell us a little bit about that. So when we first moved down to um, Torrance in 1996, my daughter was, my oldest daughter was in third grade, and so uh, when we put her in school, we didn't know anybody here, so um, we didn't have any friends. So Mahana made friends with Jasmine, and Jasmine is African-American. And um, so what happened was um, her mom asked if, um, uh, invited, invited Mahana to a hockey game. She called and, you up and said, can, yeah, can Mahana go called, to a hockey? Yeah, she called and asked if Mahana could go to a hockey game, and I immediately and firmly said no. And, uh, and I said no because I was prejudiced. I judged, I made that decision on the color of their skin. I didn't know them. And um, you know, that, that decision was made um, just out of, you know, I, I was just prejudiced. You know, and uh, she, um, so sh she just said to my husband, because I could hear them, and she said to my husband, well, 
you know, it's okay. Um, if you change your mind, just call us back. So That's what I Katricia, said, the mm -hmm. mom said to you. Yes. Katricia is Jasmine's mom. She said, just call us back. So when my husband hung, hung up the phone, um, he asked, um, he said to me, why, why, why aren't you going to let her go? I said, because we don't know them. I don't want her to go. But Mahana was very, you know, she started to um, just beg me, please, mom, Jasmine's my best friend, and I want to go. And um, my husband says, you need to let her go. Just let her go. So I reluctantly let Mahana go. But when she came home that night, she was so happy. Um, it was just amazing to see the joy in her and the great time that she had um, with them. What happened after that? You know, after that, um, Katricia is Jasmine's mom. She just was very persistent in just, you know, getting to know me. And with that, it started changing my heart that she was just so very um, perseverant. She showed me God's grace, you know, by not getting upset. I was mean, you know, I realized that I was mean to her, but she was not. She was very gracious. She showed me God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace. And, you know, with that, it started to, um, I started to realize that she's helping me realize that that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. And so um, she it, barriers started to break down. Mm -hmm. My heart started to change. And it was because of her kindness to me that allowed me to change my ignorance. I, I, I called it ignorance. Um, and so... Um, so how that are you guys doing today? So because of that, we celebrated <clears throat> each other's um, high school graduations, um, college graduations, and just this past August, um, one of the weddings. This would be my daughter's wedding. Mm. And we became very, very close friends. So she's my best friend. She's my sister in Christ. But not only that, what's most important is she's actually part of my family. So here's uh, Mahana and Jasmine. This was in the fifth grade, not in the third grade, right? Mm -hmm. And then Mahana just got married, and she was one of her bridesmaids. Jasmine was one of her bridesmaids. And then here you are with Katricia, and you are best friends. You told me that um, Katricia's husband calls your son Keanu, nephew. nephew. He calls him nephew. Yeah. Yeah. What, what a great story, huh? What a great story of what God can do in our hearts. And Tina, thank you so much. I, you know, I, I really appreciate her. It, it took a lot of courage to come up here and share that story and to admit something that probably every one of us has in our hearts. But here's what God can do. And um, God bless you for that. Thank you, Tina. Give her a hand, okay? Thank you so much. <clears throat> There's so many things I love about that story. Uh, let me just point out two. One, I, I love how Katricia responded to Tina. I mean, maybe you're on the receiving end of prejudice. Right? She was. And how did she respond? Not with anger, not with malice, not with, I'm going to get her. You know, she's a racist. But she responded with, the, the love of God. She responded with grace. She responded with mercy. She responded with perseverance. She continued just to love on Tina. In fact, Tina told me that right away when, when I asked her if she would share her story, she called her up right away. Katricia, what do you think? And she told me that every time she sees Tr Katricia, she says, she always says to her, I'm so sorry for the way I treated you. I'm so sorry. She says, oh, we're sisters. We're sisters. Are you kidding me? Stop that. Second, I love... Well, so let me just go back to that. So how are you being treated? And maybe it's not a racial thing, or maybe it's not a prejudice thing. How, how, do you, how are you responding to people who put you down because of who you are and what you believe? That's a great lesson here for us, Sarah. Second, I love what, what God did in Tina's life. He just, he just changed her. He changed her heart. He transformed her. And that prejudice went away. You see, 
racism or any kind of prejudice is not a skin problem, it's a sin problem, and that's why we need the Lord. We really need the Lord. And you know, at the beginning of this message, I, I said that this is another test for the people of faith. And so, how will you treat people who are different from you? Today, when you leave here, when you walk out of this place, and you see someone standing, and they're not talking to anybody, will you just walk by them? Or will you go up to them and say, hi, my name is David. Hi, my name is Melody. Who are you? And, and will you just reach out? I hope you will. Not just this weekend, but every single weekend. You see, church, this is a test we must not fail in. We must not fail. We have got to get this one right. Because, as Pastor John MacArthur put it, if we disdain the very people God created, then we disdain God himself. And we must not do that. So let me ask you something. Do you need to work in this area? Do you need some work in this area? Why don't you start by confessing your sins? Confess your sins and ask God to forgive you of your sins. And he will. And then ask God to change you, to transform you. And he will. Well, let's close our time in a word of prayer. As you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you think about what Tina said. You think about what James said. The question I'd ask you is, could your heart use a little work in this area? Because maybe you've harbored prejudice against somebody. May not be someone of color may be someone because of their gender. It may be someone because of their political views. It may be someone because of what country they were born in or their immigration status. Whatever it is, confess it to God right now and ask Him to forgive you. over every one of us with your mercy and grace. You promise forgiveness to those who ask for it. And so we receive it now. And God, I pray that you would work in my heart and the hearts of everyone in this church, that we would never play favorites, that we would never show, be partial to someone because of who they are, because of how much money they might have because of the kind of car they drive, because of the color of their skin, or because of their political views, not anything. And I pray that we would begin to embrace people and to love people because you created each and every one of us. Do work in us, God. If people can't find love here in this church, then they won't find it anywhere. Father, make us the church you want us to be. Make us the people you want us to be. God, help us not fail this test. So thank you, Father. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name.